It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Hey, it's Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. I am thrilled that you are here today. If you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Let me know what you think about the show and the kind of guests you'd like to hear. You can always reach out to me at themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Today, we're going to talk about how to grow and glow and how to rock midlife reinvention. I want to start out with one of my favorite quotes, which is, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And that is by Anise Nin, who was a wonderful writer, journalist, um, author. And I have a question for you. Um, when and how do you bloom? Because that is something I've been thinking a lot about. And you know, realizing that there's two ways. I'm a big flower lover, so I'm always kind of looking at flowers and thinking about, God, when and how do you bloom? And there's really two ways at midlife. You can intentionally choose to reinvent yourself. And I have done this over and over again in my midlife. When I started out my 40s, I had just uh, been a celebrity chef for about a decade. And then I became a personal fitness trainer. And while I was a personal fitness trainer, I discovered coaching. So I became a health and wellness coach. And then I decided I need to get a PhD. And so I got a PhD in psychology. And here I am again. I've always have had streams uh, also of being a writer and speaking and helping people. That's always been at the heart of what I do. But you can go ahead and reinvent yourself. And we're gonna have, we've got two podcasters on today. One podcaster is going to talk about that kind of intentional making that decisions, and there are other podcaster. And the other way is going to talk about what happens when life throws you a curveball. Let's say I have a friend. You know, your house burns down. Your elderly parents all of a sudden. You got to be the caregiver. In my situation, you get breast cancer. Something happens. Life throws you a major whammy, and all of a sudden, your identity shifts. Your life shifts. You just aren't the same person. And so, this is something that happens so much at midlife because we have so many relationships, right? We've got we've got that empty nest thing. Our kids are leaving. We've got kids. We've got the elderly parents. We've got friends, spouses. So there's a lot of people in our lives. And so life can really force you to change. And I think the interesting thing, first of all, is that life is more of a spiral than a straight line, right? We're never getting from A to Z in a direct way. Life is always, always throwing us in different directions. And it's like, you know, God laughs when you plan, right? Things (laughs) always, always happen differently. Um, And what I find is that the do-it-yourself kind of um, reinvention really builds courage, empowerment, and confidence. But when life throws you a curveball, I feel like for me, I've learned so much humility, like Mm. looking death in the face and going like, wow, like I I could die any day. You know, all of us, that humility of, gosh, I am just this frail human It builds a lot of faith and trust. Surrender has been a big piece for me of learning, you know, that piece of it. And also understanding that serenity prayer, right? What you have control over, what you don't have control over and knowing the difference between the two. But 
you know, midlife, what often happens is we get really stuck. I would say nine out of 10 women who come to me are totally stuck because that kind of reinvention that we're going to talk about, that intentional reinvention, we don't want to do because we don't like uncertainty. Our mm -hmm. brains are totally programmed to keep us safe. And so, you know, reinvention's scary. I, I like it. I love, I've got, you know, a tiger is a power animal. So I'm on my like 12th life. But, you know, reinvention can be scary. And so it's easier to just like duck under that bare skin rug. I had a client, a new client that I'm working with, and she's like, God, I just want to eat potato chips and watch Netflix. That's all I want to do. And I think with COVID, it made it even more difficult. So we stay stuck because of fear. But you can't expect to grow and stay the same. And if you're in midlife and you want to grow, you want to change, you want to rock your midlife, you got to step outside your comfort zone. You want to do that caterpillar to butterfly thing. It can be scary and painful, right? The caterpillar literally puts itself in a, in a shroud. It makes this cocoon. It excretes an, an, a goo, which literally digests itself. But the cool thing is that the DNA remains the same. So the caterpillar and the butterfly have exactly the same DNA, even though only a few cells are left as that blueprint for the butterfly. And the other interesting thing is if you help a um, butterfly get out of the chrysalis, you kill it. Mm. We've got to struggle to get to that butterfly stage. So I would say um, in my journey, my in my toolkit is totally self-compassion, which is totally about treating yourself the way you would a good friend, being kind rather than critical, being mindful when you are struggling and understanding common humanity, which is just, shit happens. It's just the way that life is. You know, when the Buddha looked over the wall and saw people dying and struggling and suffering and being sick, he realized, my God, this is normal. And then you don't feel so alone. And so in this context of reinvention, Self-compassion is really a parachute and a life vest. It is a life vest. So when life hits you and you become that caregiver or you get cancer or your house burns down, you don't have to plunge right into fix-it mode. You can take a moment and go, oh my God, this hurts. Ow. You can be there for yourself, not about fixing it, but about just giving yourself compassion because the struggle hurts and it's super powerful for that, but it's also a parachute. So when you want to step outside your comfort zone and like start that podcast, write that book, travel the world, you know, do some online dating and meet somebody really cool and groovy. Well, you've got this parachute that if you take a risk, you can also be there for yourself. So self-compassion is really powerful. And so let's get into the thick of it. I have two amazing women that I'm going to be talking to today. Our first is Emmy award-winning producer, Kitty Isley. She spent two decades at NPR, most recently as a supervising senior editor of Morning Edition. Her radio work has been recognized with DuPont, Peabody, and James Beard Awards. She began her career with Ken Burns. If you don't know him, he is one of the most amazing, um, amazing uh, producers ever. And she started work with his Civil War series for PBS. 
She is also a Nyman Fellow. She was a Nyman Fellow at Harvard. She has contributed to books, plays, digital series, and live audience events on American history, culture, and politics. And her interviews and essays have appeared on NPR and in the Washington Post. Running through her work is the common denominator of sharing lives and shaping civic culture. She has a new, semi-new podcast. It's, she's in her second season, I believe. It's called 20. 20- Four Seven, a podcast about caregiving, and it was inspired by her experience caring for her dad, Al Isley, during the last years of her life. And it's truly an amazing podcast that is really helping people to not feel so isolated and alone and helping them to really figure out how do you do the caregiving thing. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Kitty. Such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited because it's a great way to reframe what I've just been through and try to reset where I'm going. So you had many metaphors or, or um, images in that conversation just now, and I'm writing them down to kind of rethink what I can, how I can use that imagery to, to set my own um, ideas about how to go forward. Yeah, that's awesome. And I find something, you know, in midlife surrender, I'm learning so much is life works so much better than when you just let go and you surrender and you let things come to you. So I'm so glad that you're a pure person connected us and we can have this conversation. So tell us a little bit about your personal story with your dad for people who haven't tuned into your podcast. What did you go through? Well, let's see. I actually did have this wonderful sabbatical, almost a midlife break. And it was this Neiman Fellowship at Harvard University for journalists, where you are encouraged to study whatever you haven't learned, what you don't know that you need to know. And I was coming off this amazing year, returning to NPR and thinking, this isn't the right fit right now. I was working at night and I just thought, I'm done. So I thought, let's take a break, NPR, and I've got some other projects I want to do. And right at that point, my mom died. And she'd had a lot of issues health issues that my father had really managed for her and been his, in a lot of ways, her, his, her caregiver. I had as well. There've been a lot of emergencies and a lot of, I would say health crises over a period of years. And so when she died, his health, this is 2016 now, almost, you know, eight years ago, his health just tanked. Now, my dad and I were both journalists in Washington and we lived in a very similar set of circles, not age-wise, but certainly professionally. And so I knew his context of, um, you know, being out, being robust, being part of a city life, being part of a political life in Washington, at least, um, that was very meaningful to him. But his, he had a chronic heart condition that had really deteriorated. And because my mom had been sick, now he was sick, I had gotten to know their doctor pretty well. And I had a good idea of kind of what things were happening unexpectedly he ended up in the hospital for three weeks in 2017 and we almost lost him and at the same time i'm doing all sorts of project work i live in a condo in washington dc my parents live in the house that they bought in 1967 where i am sitting in my childhood bedroom and i was commuting literally to take him to doctor's appointments after his hospitalization and trying to figure out is he safe to live at home can he manage things safely the oven the car the various things that he needs to do to live his life. And it was not looking good. We'd experimented with having him go to an assisted living place in our town that he knew people at. It was a wonderful place, but he really wanted to be in his house. And not only, the, I mean, and I understand this and I want for listeners or viewers to get this. I had to rethink a little what it was that he 
wanted because I thought, you know, he's lost his wife. This is a house he's lived in for over 50 years. This is everything familiar to him. And I was reading a lot about death and dying because we'd just been through this with my mom and I was trying to get a grip on how do I approach this? And one of the things was, you know, ask someone what they want and what keeps them safe. And I think he wanted to stay in his easy chair and look out the window and see his azaleas and watch a ball game. And I really thought, if I can make that happen for him, I will try. Because it's very, it really throws you at a certain age when your mind isn't working as well and your body's not, to have to go move into a dorm with strangers and eat a meal in a dining hall every day when you aren't feeling your best with people you don't know. And it seemed like a lot. And at the time, we didn't have a great prognosis for him. So I had been doing this commute where I'd drive out to the suburbs, get him ready, take him back downtown to a series of doctor's appointments at a hospital, spend a good part of the day, drive him back to his suburban home, prepare dinner, get him ready for bed. And it would be a full-time job. I mean, that was full-time for many weeks where I, this happened every couple of days. So I thought the easiest thing I can do is just to be with him at home, keep an eye on him. And if he has six months, I'm in a position where I've gotten to a professional point in my life that I, I can take that, not so much take the break, but that I will grab any job afterwards. I don't need to prove myself in a career capacity. I can only help him do this once. I can get another job later. And oh, it's amazing that you, yeah, that you were willing to put yourself second and to really put yourself as much as you could in his shoes. And I, and I totally understand. I have elderly parents. My parents are 90 and 92. And fortunately, they um, really have each other and they have their faculty. They're doing great. But, you know, they're getting to that point where they can't drive as much. They're still my dad's still driving, but it is it's hard. You know, and so I'm curious about what was it like starting to parent your parent? It's a hard shoes to step into and you have no, I, you, like you don't have the training, the knowledge or anything. What was that like? Right. Um, well, one thing I want to say is that I feel really grateful to my parents because they at least had done a lot of the paperwork, legal and medical for what happens. Um, do we know who their doctor is? Do we know who their financial advisor is? Do we know where the will is? So I would say for anybody who is even at midlife for yourself, that is the kindest thing you can do for anyone you love is to make sure that you have done your end of life advanced planning and make sure other people know how to find it and what your wishes are. doesn't mean it was all perfect. And I will say, I did not like some halo did not come over me and say, Oh, you can go be this saint to take care of your dad. This came after many emergencies, many trips to the hospital, uh, getting lost, losing cars, things that had been increasingly difficult. So I wasn't just, trying to um, be this sort of compassionate nurse, I was kind of at my wit's end, like, how do we make this stable? And so I had been really thinking about it. Um, becoming a parent to your parent, for a lot of people, I think it happens very, it happens slowly and then suddenly. It often involves an accident, a fall or a hospitalization. That's been my observation with many friends. So someone will have very typically a bad fall and an accident where they're hospitalized and it will require them to go to usually a step down or a rehab facility. And that can take a lot of time to get someone well again, well enough to return to their house 
And that's often where my friends have had the same experience, which is, oh, is that house really functional for an older person? Are there stairs they need to manage? Do they have an adequate, easy way in and out of the house? Do they need someone to look in on them? Maybe do the laundry because it's in the basement and there are stairs they can't navigate. So all these gradual things perhaps start to get, you start to recognize that you might need to help put in place. In our case, there, you know, my dad was in the ICU for three weeks. We had to organize a place for him to go recover after that. I am again grateful because my mom had died their financial advisor had gathered myself, my sister, and my dad to say, one of you daughters needs to have power of attorney and we'll get that paperwork signed. So, you know, your mom had it before. In our case, that meant we could call him and get some money moved around so that if we had to move my dad somewhere permanently, we had the facility to do it. We had the option as opposed to looking at our bank accounts and saying, can we like come up with this massive amount of money? The fact that we'd already been introduced to him um, that his doctor was on board. Knowing the players in my parents' life made this a lot easier. So even though parenting my parent was really tricky and it wasn't anything anybody was going, oh, come on in, look at my bank account, let's go through the numbers. Eventually that did happen. And the fact that my dad had been quite sick, he recognized that his daughters needed to be able to do this kind of help for him. So over time, he was having um, cognitive challenges because heart failure can lead to oxygen loss to your brain. And we sort of tiptoed in to let's make sure we have details for the bank account. Let's make sure your bills are on auto pay. Can I make sure that um, we're going to start introducing an, a caregiver who might come a few hours a week to make sure that we get you your physical therapy. We She helps you exercise. She helps me with preparing meals. Your question is bigger though. Yeah. So I'm kind of you, yeah. I'm kind change. of curi curious, stepping back a little bit, knowing where you are now, because you're talking a lot about the process, which is super important to know, yeah. have those things in place. So if you're listening, I know a lot of my listeners have elderly parents. So to make sure that there is power of attorney and that, you know, you do have ability to be able to, to support them. But I'm curious about sort of the the identity shift, right? So you Big. are a super accomplished, you know, high achieving producer. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're literally having to ch maybe change bedpans and make sure that your dad doesn't, you know, I know there was a get in the car beautiful piece about get in the car and yeah. cut his hair and all of these things. What was right. the identity piece like when you realize, my God, this is like, it's, I don't, I don't know if you've been a parent. I know for me, when I've helped people, I helped my, my mother-in-law, you know, pass. And it was so much like having toddlers. That's exactly Except it. they're big toddlers and they're they big. weigh like 180 and pound toddlers. Yes. Yeah. And they have an adult life behind them. So why would they want you to take over that? Or And what was it uh, like for you in, internally to have to shift your identity for, I think it was a period of what, about a year, three year years. and a half? Three. Oh, three years, yeah, um, to do that. I think it was, I think I wanted to control it more than it could be controlled. And so I over-controlled in the beginning. And even mm -hmm. we had a conversation about, you know, I can do some of these things. Well, yes and no, you can do some of these things, but some of these things are not working. Um, if, That's if really common, by the way. Really? 
The, the, well, to over control because yeah. you know we you know this that surrender we don't want to surrender right we want right. to feel like I'm in control of my life and so we overcompensate and try to control too much. And I think it was the recent experience of having my mother die after some serious health challenges that I just thought I can't go through this again. I don't want this again. I want us to be able to have a glide path. If Dad's health is really declining, how can we make this less awful? and comforting for him because he's just had a huge loss. You know, his wife of 56 years at that point or something, um, or 55. So I was writing crazy things in notes in my computer after some of these experiences where I was just like, I can't believe I'm in this position. How do I, I don't understand how to do this. Nobody's, I've never even seen people have to do this. It's not visualized in popular culture entertainment. I will say there are 50 million of us in America right now, taking care of someone over 50 unpaid. 50 million people are doing this. That's like a sixth of the population, but I saw nothing. And the only thing that kept me kind of able to think to reframe it as a parent to my parent were friends who'd done it and were laughing about it. And I thought, I can't laugh at my dad, but I'm certainly laughing at this situation when I'm not sobbing. And it took a lot of work to not be overly depressed. And I think I really did get very depressed, partly because he was for a period of time. And I just felt like, I want to fix this. I, I, I don't want him to feel so sad because it makes me feel bad. And I had to sort of recognize that, of course, he's sad. He's grieving a huge loss. He's reckoning with his own mortality, even if he doesn't want to. I don't know what the right way is to to help him deal with that stuff if I need to, you know, are there friends he needs to see more of or ways we can keep him involved? I can't make his unhappiness or his, maybe his discomfort go away, but I want to because it makes me uncomfortable. So the parenting your parent had to do with me realizing like, this is his time and his job. I can't, and nor should I necessarily try to prevent that. That's about me not hurting. And we did talk to his physician about some of the ongoing stuff because when you've got heart failure and you're on a lot of medications and suddenly your life is very different, depression happens a lot in older people. So we got him some medication that I think really helped after a year or two. Um, and then COVID happened and yes. everything changed. Yeah, it was crazy. I think a lot of us, you know, really had to take care of our parents during COVID because they, they were the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They couldn't even go to the grocery store. Right. And so, and I know that my siblings who are in the same, you know, city as my parents really were at, Took you know, that. helping my parents all the time and taking that, that burden. So, um, so what did you ultimately learn, Kitty, from this experience? How did you grow? Uh, I grew, but it was painful growth, just like being a sluggish chrysalis. I mean, a <laughs> gooey mess in, inside. I think I'm still in the shell. You mentioned you were a tiger. I'm year of the rabbit. <laughs> I was very happy to cocoon and my father died a year ago in the summer. And I was, I'm so grateful. So, so grateful that we were able to give him a peaceful and comforting death because when COVID hit that changed it for every family. So how, how can you avoid the trauma of something worse happening when you're already in bad shape? So in that sense, um, I felt like I'd done my job as a daughter. I really had. I'd done my job as a family member. Like, I don't have to do that again, hopefully, but certainly not for parents. So I felt positive 
like it it was very painful because you're kind of grieving slowly as someone it's what they often refer to as anticipatory grief you're watching someone part this life very slowly as um faculties decline as all that happens and yet you're part of it and you have to prop it up so that was hard and i do feel like i've kind of bounced back is that learning i don't know um in some ways i feel like i'm still in the process and writing and taping about it helped me process the experience and i really wanted something i could put out that that's how i process i write um and i thought if somebody else can use this, then I'll put it out. I didn't want to expose my dad too much. So I focused this podcast on what it is to the caregiver because I certainly had no map. Have I changed enough? Uh, no. I, I, well, you asked how, how I've changed, but I'm not sure I have a good answer for that. Yeah, well, I, you're still, like you said, you're still in that still in grief process and you're still in it. And and as you so beautifully show in your podcast, you know, you're really seeing this man who was incredibly accomplished, like yourself, that you had so much in common with losing his faculties, losing his body. And it's kind of, I always think about, I've done some hospice work and it's kind of like we, you know, my mother-in-law, when she passed, like it was first she would stop, you know, watching her daily, you know, Oprah, her daily shows. And then she would stop, she, you know, wearing her glasses and stop mm -hmm. drinking coffee right, and all of right. these things of her identity, they slowly slip away. Um, yeah. And you're still processing that. And I would say I'm just still feeling it. Yeah. The self-compassion piece is huge to just offer yourself compassion just because you're struggling. Um, but you're doing such an incredible service too. So it's almost, you know, this like the no mud, no lotus, right? So this incredible oh, podcast, you know, is coming. So I, I'm curious, besides the fact you've given some great, you know, ideas for listeners about make sure you have that living will in place, that power of attorney. You've talked to your parents about finances and all of those things. You know, why they are still young and vibrant. Mm -hmm. So those things are in place. I think laughter is really awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Friendships are really, really great. What else from your own experience? And I know you've you've talked to all kinds of people, including some very high end. I was listening to your um, your podcast with the daughter of um, Ronald Reagan and right. how incredible point pointed that was, where he didn't know that he was president. Right. Wasn't that amazing? That was incredible. And I'm curious what sort of advice, along with the laughter, you know, maintaining friendships. Um, I don't know if there's self care practices that you continue to engage in. What are some of the, the best you know, tips that you would give for someone who is facing a similar situation? Patty Davis, Ronald Reagan's daughter, became very active in an Alzheimer's caregiving practice after, during his illness with Alzheimer's, he lived for 10 years with Alzheimer's. And she, in a way that you talk about surrender, she talked about that as well. Like you have to be able to show up with your whole self and be willing to let go of whatever issues you had with your parents, whatever old unresolved stuff, because it will come up and get in the way. It doesn't mean you deny that you may have had conflicts about things, but I didn't have that level of maybe difficulty. I think she acknowledges it with her mother, certainly. Um, but she talks really seriously about how she reframed what this experience was going to be for her. She couldn't go out there and just take control of it or bring the baggage that she'd had as the you know daughter of California's governor during a really tumultuous time and then the president and a 
difficult relationship with her parent, her mother. Um, I think that was it. Like you, again, like you say, surrender, that's not a passive concept. Yeah, it's really, it, you know, it follows those five stages of grief. You know, we start off with denial and then we, we work our way to acceptance, which doesn't mean that you like what's going on, but it it means that you are accept what is. And it sounds like there's a tremendous amount of healing. Like when you talk about your um, experience that you were able to be there for your dad and love him the way that he loved and took care of you and yes. that you can look back on it and have like, I have no regrets. I exactly. gave my dad the send off that he wanted and that he deserved and I did my best. So kudos to you. And now using again, the, the, you know, your experience to grow this new Lotus where it is a, you know, we could do a whole other show about what's wrong with our culture where, you know, we don't have the things in place to honor people as they, are aging. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. And when okay. we come back, we are going to talk to Wendy Battles about the other kind of reinvention where you intentionally decide to move in a new direction. Hey, you're listening to Rock Your Midlife. We'll see you after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause, and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are, and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com, for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Hope to see you there soon. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866 866- 
866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Hey, welcome back. It's Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. I want to let you know that the show is sponsored by TheOptimal.me. For the midlifer who wants to feel younger, stay active, independent, and energetic without pain or injury, and feel confident that this phase of life is their best yet. Take control of how you age with TheOptimal.me. You're never too old to take a smarter approach to aging and give yourself the freedom to make this chapter whatever you hoped for and more. I have been using their website loving their integrated movement. I've been a jock my whole life, but I sometimes don't do all the strength and stretching and stabilizing stabilizing that I need to do. And your first 30 days are absolutely free. So check out theoptimal.me. And before the break, we were talking to the amazing um, Kitty Isley. And I just have to say, Kitty, even just sharing your story and having so much... Um, just your heart in your sleeve, like right there, the immediacy of what's happened is such a powerful thing, the ability so that people don't feel so alone. And we're gonna talk about the other kind of reinvention, the intentional with um, Wendy Battles. But before I formally introduce Wendy, I want Wendy to ask Kitty a question. Kitty, I loved your story. I'm on a similar caregiving journey, so it was especially pertinent to me. And My question for you is, knowing what you now know, having experienced this journey, if there was something you would do differently in the future, if you had to care for someone else, what would Mm. that one thing be? I would have hired more help earlier. I do feel like we, it's such a good question, first of all, because otherwise, how do you learn from this stuff? Um, We because my dad did not want to be in an assisted living place, even though he'd gone there for some rehab and things. um, I don't know that I realized how much work it was. And uh, it's not a toddler. It's there's a 180 pound person there just lifting and helping move can be very taxing. And at some point my dad lost the ability to walk. Um, So myself and the caregiver we had, we were doing all the lifting and moving and, um, sort of transiting him around the house, I might have pushed myself harder to think, is this the best solution we have? Now we were into COVID. So that made moving to a facility a bigger deal and not a no-go really until there was a vaccine. Um, I think I also would have probably tried to schedule more breaks for myself. At a certain point, I was able to say to my sister who had two kids and a really powerful, heavy duty traveling job. So she wasn't as available despite wanting to be, I might've said, you know what, we ha- I've got to schedule in more breaks because I am so deeply depressed. And part of that had to do also with an old house that had a lot of things going wrong. So for anyone doing the caregiving um, shuffle or whatever you call it, I think it's worth saying, this is professional work. You may not be able to do some of this and it is not just okay, but it's probably going to be necessary to bring in some additional help. And you have to look over the finances for that. It's not, I'm not making light of how our country does not support long-term care for elder Americans, but I think there are programs and every state has an association on aging um, or something to that effect. And it's worth looking into to see if you can get either some financial support to hire occasional caregivers, or if there are senior centers or other activities where you can get a break 
I did not do that well enough. And it's not, I, I kind of numbed myself with a lot of um, binging TV and reading at night. And so I ended up being a little more isolated than I even planned to be. Um, Cause I felt like it was hard to, we had a caregiver for part of the day for the first couple of years, but I didn't have coverage at night and I was not really, I was doing work during the day. So I wasn't really seeing friends at night or going out and being social. Um, and I think that's a huge part of keeping, of making it possible to do this. Yeah. So it sounds like the bottom line is get help and also really double down on the self-care that you need and be mm -hmm. realistic that you can't do it yourself. So thank you for that. Let me introduce Wendy to you and shift gears a little bit. Thank you for your answer, Kitty. Cybersecurity awareness expert at Yale University by day, Wendy Battles pursues her passion for celebrating, illuminating, and elevating older women by night. As the host of the Reinvention of Rebels podcast, Wendy interviews bold and unapologetic women 50 to 90 years young wow. who have reinvented themselves later in life to see new possibilities. From traveling solo around the world with a carry-on bag at 60 to running wow. in global marathons at 71 to launching a modeling career at 72, these women are bravely making their dreams a priority. And Wendy shines a light on the notion that we can reinvent ourselves at any age or any stage and is helping to disrupt limiting beliefs about the value of aging women in our society. At 57, Wendy is a reinvention rebel herself, having reinvented herself many times during her life, including as a management consultant, voice actor, and health coach. I didn't know that about you. Her most recent reinvention as a podcast host is by far her most rewarding. Along her journey for great self-awareness, she's learned the art of living on purpose and embracing life with more joy, ease, and trust. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Wendy. Ellen, thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be here with you and to talk about our reinvention journeys because I think most of us have had many. Yes, absolutely. And I had I was on your show, which was so much fun. And thank you for that. So it's so much fun having you on my show. So let's start off by talking about what are you doing to rock your midlife? I'm doing a lot of different things. And one of those things is totally turning things around and leaning into more joy more joy, more happiness. I will say that I spent a good part of my 30s, 40s, and 50s reinventing myself in diff different times, but always with this question of what am I meant to do? What is my greater purpose? And as I got in my 50s, I thought I still haven't figured it out. So I became more intentional about leaning into what brings me joy, what makes me happy, when I uncovered, because as a health coach, I work with midlife women. So I love working with women, but that wasn't really it as a coach. As I lean into what am I great at? What are, where do I shine? And it's using my voice. And I started to put some pieces together. One day I was meditating and I simply heard reinvention rebels. And I said, reinvention, what? What is that? Reinvention rebels. What is that? I wrote it down. But when I got to the place where I figured out it was a podcast, and no, I'd never been a podcaster before, even though I was a voice actor, I just got so excited about it. Like I knew for the first time in my life in 54 years, this is three years ago, I realized that that is what I'm meant to do. And all the other reinventions I had and experiences I had were preparing me for this. And for me, rocking midlife means getting up every day really early, excited, 
knowing that I'm doing what I'm meant to do, being able to easily find my voice, to easily have trust in what I'm doing, to know that everything is unfolding in just the right way. Where before I felt uncertain, I'm not sure, second guessing myself, is this what I'm meant to do? I Rocky midlife for me means having total certainty, like I never have before, that this is it. Oh, I love that. And, you know, two couple of things stand out. Follow the path of joy. And that is something that I do all the time. And honestly, I kind of found this place. I live on this beautiful island of North Hero. Mm. I was actually um, visualizing myself where I feel most joyful was just dance. I did this destination vibration thing where I visualized myself like dancing at five and dancing at 12 and then dancing in my 20s by the Charles River and doing belly dancing and swing dancing. And I feel like I attracted this place and this amazing man and follow joy. So if you're listening, figure out like what lights you up. So I absolutely love that. And I love that you, when you're on that path, when you feel joy, the fear melts away. The second guessing melts away. You're like, I just want to be happy. That is just yes. such a great, great answer. So other ideas of how do you reinvent yourself at midlife? So you've talked to probably at this point, you've been doing it for three years. So what have you talked to over hundred women? At this yeah, point? I've talked to so many different women and I, I, I've come up with what I've, what I've recognized having done all of these interviews with these different women, I've seen three key things to me that are ingredients to becoming what I call a reinvention rebel, which is just someone who awakens to this inner rebel and decides that this is it. I'm going for it. I don't care what anybody thinks. It's my time. And those three things are what I call the three C's, curiosity, courage, and commitment. Curiosity, courage, and commitment. I love that. The most important thing I see is that women like you, Ellen, are curious that when we lean into our curiosity, when we lean into what lights us up, as we just talked about, when we start to think about what are the things I love to do, what brings me joy, what makes me happy, what would I do if no one ever paid me? Like right now as a podcaster, what would I get up and do at 4.45 in the morning every morning because I love it so much that I think that when we can tune into those things, whatever those things are, which could be anything, things you always wanted to do but never did. Like I want to take tap dancing, even if maybe I'm not a great Mm -hmm. dancer, it doesn't matter. It's just the idea of trying new things on to help us down that path of figuring things out. So it's a, a piece of that puzzle. That second one is courage. It's so easy to live in fear about whatever that thing is. It doesn't matter. It could be anything, whether it's a work life or personal life, what have you. And the reinvention rebels that I interview are courageous. They have given themselves permission to lean in, even though often they don't know what they're doing. I don't know what I was doing as a podcaster, right? Yeah. And and I think that especially women, we can tend to want to do everything right to kind of get everything perfect. We hold ourselves back. And I think there's so much value in taking small steps. Even if you don't know the how, you just know what. Like, oh, what I want to, I want to have a podcast. And I could lean into that by just simply asking someone, you know, I know you're a podcaster. Could you help me figure out where I could start? So taking small steps, even when we feel fearful to help build our courage muscle, then helps propel us forward to the next thing. And when we can break it down into those small steps, it helps us do it with more ease. So courage is really important. And the third thing that these reinvention rebels really possess is 
commitment. And by that, I mean self-commitment. They are committed to themselves. They are unapologetic about saying, it is my time and I am going to do this. And I don't care what the naysayers say or why would you do that at that age, Kitty? Like, what are you thinking? Ellen, really? Do you really think that's a good idea? They're able to see past that narrative. They're able to own, I really want to do this. I'm willing to figure out how to do this. And I'm going to carve out the space, whatever that means to each of us. I'm willing to carve out the space to make that happen. And for me, a great example is I said, okay, I am going to start getting up at 5 a.m. to work on this because I have a full-time job. I was like, well, that's not early enough. I'm going to go to 4.45. So I just decided, you know, five days a week at 4.45, I get up, I meditate for a few minutes, and then I get started and I do it for two, two and a half hours, depending on the day before I break into exercise. And that was me making a commitment to make this happen in a way that works for me so that I can pursue my passion. But I, I also have a job I love and I'm not going to just quit my job to do this. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to do that. So I, it's that idea of how can I be committed to this stuff? And I'll just tell you this one story. One of the, my guests, Mary, who is the runner, she started running at 55. She was always overweight her entire life. She was at the, on the treadmill one day at the gym and she just said, I'm going to just turn up the speed a little bit. She didn't know why she just did it. Well, she started jogging and she said, I kind of like this. And we live in a town where there are tons of runners. And so she told everybody she knew that she was going to run in our road race, our New Haven road race, which is every Labor Day 5K. She told everybody she knew. So she would she would make herself do it. That idea of self-commitment. I'm so committed to doing this that I'm going to tell other people because I'd be too embarrassed to tell them, well, I changed my mind. So self-commitment, that idea of committing to ourselves is that third C. So courage, curiosity, courage, and commitment. I love that. It sounds like a, uh, an amazing book. And I want to add, too, that there's so much cool research that shows when you turn up the curiosity knob, you turn down the anxiety knob. So when you get curious and even curious about, like, why am I feeling anxious or why am I, you know, feeling whatever it is that you're feeling, but you can't be curious and anxious at the same time. So I get like when I get anxious around some of like things like public speaking, I'll get curious, like, why are you feeling this way? And sometimes my curiosity will say, OK, this is why, whether that's old programming or you better rehearse your butt off, whatever it is. And then the courage piece is so key because courage comes from the French word core, the which means heart. So courage isn't just about being brave. It's about following a path with heart. And I think at midlife, as sort of Kitty was saying, you know, we want certainty so much. We hold on to certainty that we choke off intuition. That little voice that says, yes. yeah, reinvention rebel, or, you know, you do yes. a podcast, write that book because we want that certainty and we're not willing to sort of, you know, put our heart out there and listen to our heart, listen to our gut. And the commitment piece is really important. I love that story because when you commit, you know, you shut that door. And so it's so easy to procrastinate, not move forward, back out. And so the commitment piece is huge. I love that. It feels like, it feels like a book. So tell me how, what ways have you grown during your midlife? What's different about Wendy versus Wendy at 57, right? Versus Wendy at 47 or 37. Sure of myself. I, I would say that I've always been a confident person. I've always been successful at work, but I also always had a nagging feeling of trying to find my voice, of trying to speak my truth. 
So yes, I could do that. I could do all those things and be good at work, but I still felt like something was missing. So I think one of the things that's different is that I very naturally, without having to like force things, you know, sometimes we force things. Like if I just do X, Y, and Z, I can try to make this work. And there isn't that feeling. There's much more flow in midlife for me in a way that I have not had before. And I do believe it's because I found something that lights me up so much and that light just naturally radiates out and I can do it with so much joy. So that flow was missing. And sometimes it felt, things felt really forced. And I guess the way that I can explain it best is that in the past, I would think about things I might share on social media and do a lot of thinking about it. And I want to make sure I say the right thing. And I, I want to get it just right. That whole idea of we have to just be so right about things. And this is so different because I found my voice in such a natural way that I, I don't know how to explain it, Ellen, other than the words just flow out in a natural, authentic way that I'm just being myself and speaking my truth, which a lot of it is talking about my experiences to share about how I've been able to figure things out or I've been able to change how I started out being unsure, how I feel I have so much more certainty, how I've learned to lean in, as you mentioned, and, and trust that inner voice and intuition and know it won't steer me wrong. Where in the past, I was like, well, it's telling me that, but I'm just going to ignore that and do something that in my head seems to make more sense, which ultimately didn't work out. So getting in that flow has in unexpected ways given me this total confidence about what's possible. And I have, I just know that everything is unfolding in just the right way where before I would worry about things. Well, if I do this, maybe this will happen. And if I, you know, it's this mental calculus where now I feel like I'm much more calm and present and grounded and trusting that things are simply unfolding in the right way. Yeah, it's magical. And that idea of flow is so key because the, the idea means that you're challenging yourself, right? And you have the skills and abilities, but it's a little above the level of quite your comfort zone. You're stepping out, but then you have this faith that I'll figure it out. And also not coming so much from the ego place. I know that was a big issue for me is like always letting my intellect, my ego, more degrees, more knowledge. And I've kind of like, I've stuffed my head so full. I have more degrees than a thermometer. And I'm like done <laughs> with that. And it's so much more fun just to allow things to come and to be moved by this desire to be in flow, to be in joy. So if people are listening and thinking, this all sounds absolutely lovely, ladies, but really, how do you, how do you kickstart a midlife reinvention for people who are listening going like, I have no idea where to start. Where do we start? I like to start by journaling, getting quiet, setting a timer. It could be as simple as setting a timer for 15 or 20 minutes, sitting quietly and uh, just seeing what bubbles up, maybe meditating first, but seeing what bubbles up, writing down what comes to you. The other thing that has worked really well for me is just getting super quiet. Like I started doing the dishes in silence, cooking in silence, spending a lot of time being much more quiet because I had a very overstimulated life. And this was way before the pandemic happened. And that was really key for me to kind of notice some of those things that bubbled up because I was listening, my radar was on. And I think one of the keys to our midlife reinvention is getting more quiet, slowing down, being much more still so we can actually hear those messages that are naturally bubbling up. Awesome. And I know that um, Kitty has a question for you. Kitty, can you 
Uh, you have a question for Wendy. Jump in the conversation. Briefly, uh, it's a question and observation, which every call-in person makes, but you talked about joy. And I going through COVID, folks, I thought how I wanted to buy a place at the beach. And I realized, what's really behind that? Do you really want to spend your money at the beach? And I was like, no, what I need is sunlight. I really need better weather, better climate. And then I thought, well, how many summers do you have left that you use a place at the beach? And it wasn't macabre. It was wonderful. It sort of reset me to think, I'm at I'm 58. If I have 20 other good summers, how do I find my joy? Like not find it's I'm going to be joyful in in everything I'm doing, because what's the point otherwise? And I don't think I would have had quite that um, framework. So what you said about finding joy is like it's intentional. It's not it's not loopy. It's look, we've got this beautiful thing. We're in the middle of life with all its complications. But as I've aged, that's been part of it. Um, I know we have, we're short on time. So I'm, I'm echoing what you said to say thank you because you just validated something for me. And also being committed, I started the podcast before I had any support for it. And I was doing it out of my bedroom. And I was like, this, I'm an audio professional, this sucks. <laughs> and I decided perfect is the enemy of the good. Yes. And lo and behold, Texas Public Radio said, we want to do something with this. And the Biggs Institute at the University of San Antonio came in and funded it. So I have to give them a shout out, but it's back to your thing about the courage to try something and then the commitment to say, I'm going to do it. And that, as you said, something unfolded. So thank yeah, you, because I'm going to so really amazing. write those three things down and, and check with myself about what your ideas are. I love because it. I have a lot of reinventing to go. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love We're that. We're always reinventing. I just want to say too, enjoy, you know, people are always asking the difference between joy and happiness. And so I think so often we live in this consumer culture that tells us when we have that thing, that that house, that car, we lose the weight, we have the mate, we have the house, the house, all of that stuff, then we'll be happy. And I have so many clients and people I know who are, it's like you're on this hamster wheel chasing that external stuff, but joy is inside, right? You could just be joyful, like living in your, you know, your little tiny house, like less is more. And I think that's really, you could, you can see it. And I think we really resonate, Wendy, because you can see your joy. And people say that, you know, when they see me on social media, you can really, Yes, uh, see their joy. So we have about a minute. Kitty, did you have a question for Wendy? Did anything you'd like to ask um, Wendy? It's well, I'm in a real uh, open space about reinventing because I have to reinvent, and I don't know how to do that. So it's too big for a one minute thing. But I, yeah. I will take your advice and be quieter. And that's a biggie when you work in audio. And it's, right. Um, because I, 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 that's, I'm going to need that. So my question is really, well, how do I start? And I think you just answered it to listen for what's coming. And then as you did with reinvention rebels, like you got a voice, you listened and yes. something yes. came to you. Yeah. So thank it's you. Not I a have question to cut... as much as a thank you. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you two were able to connect, and I Me really too. appreciate everybody listening today. Listening because listening happens in all kinds of things. You may have a podcast. It may be a song. You may be out in nature, and something mm -hmm. pops in your head. Spirit shows up. Intuition shows up when we are present and when we are quiet. So, thank you, Kitty, so much. Thank you, Wendy. It's been a joy to connect Pleasure. with both of you and get to know you all on a deeper level. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I so appreciate.
appreciate each and every one of you. If you are enjoying this podcast, let your girlfriends know and please leave a review so more women can find out about it. And if you want to reach out to me, it's themidlifewhisperer.com. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. Thanks so much. And I will see you on our next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.